Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum. So glad you joined me today. My guest today is one of our more unique guests. It's the personal ring announcer, the one and only Ricardo Rodriguez, the personal ring announcer of Alberto Del Rio. He's opened a wrestling school called Free Legacies Wrestling out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He explains kind of how that came to being and how he ended up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We talk about his whole career how you go from being a wrestler, an indie wrestler for many years, to suddenly becoming a ring announcer, having never ring announced anything in your life ever. So, unique journey in wrestling, unique journey in independent wrestling, and now training for Ricardo Rodriguez. So, here we go now with my interview with the personal ring announcer, Ricardo Rodriguez. So glad to be joined today by the personal ring announcer, the one and only Jesus Ricardo Rodriguez. Ricardo, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Muchas gracias. Uh, I know I mentioned it before we came on on air. Uh, I, I'm still a little kind of recovering from being under the weather. It's been a, a rough week, but uh, I'm on the up and up and excited to do this. So let's rock and roll, man. All right. Let's start with what you're doing right now. I understand you're running a wrestling school now called uh, Three Legacies Wrestling in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. What can you tell me about this project and perhaps some of the cards you're putting on uh, in association with it? Yeah, so for the last year and a half, uh, I I started this company here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania called Three Legacies Wrestling. Uh, it started off with just the academy, just the school, and then it kind of branched off into doing our own events. And uh, uh, it's been a very th- uh, good, successful year and a half. Uh, we do monthly events. We draw an average 500 people at the events. Uh, we had a very large um, a baseball stadium show that we drew about 2,500 people. We had, uh, you know, on, on that event specifically, we had, you know, uh, Real Honor and Impact Star Delirious. We had um, Fandango, Heath Slater, Rhino, uh, Gene Snitsky, D'Lo Brown, uh, and then of course, Ricardo Rodriguez. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of great, uh, great time that we had. And we're building something that we can be proud of, uh, not just for ourselves, but for potential future for wrestling stars, but also including our awesome community that has been very, very supportive uh, throughout this whole process. So it's one of those where not only do we grow, but we help elevate the students and also the community. How did it end up happening in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania? So pro- the, since I left, the, I left the in 2014, 15. And throughout the, uh, the last several years, I've just been kind of uh, being a nomad and then just kind of opening up or running wrestling schools all over the world. Um, I ended up going to, to India and I opened up a wrestling school in India under the great Kali. And, um, we had, we, we had an amazing time over there. We ended up, uh, uh, starting the independent scene cause there was none prior to my time there. And, um, some of those guys actually eventually get, got signed to WWE um or or you know impact or other places and uh from there i went to australia australia i went to england england at at that time in mexico um and then before i ended up here in lancaster i was in like i was for a whole year almost a year in cairo egypt so i opened up a school in cairo egypt uh so i lived over there for a good while and it was such a beautiful time and experience unfortunately due to covid the constant start stop start stop it didn't it didn't grow as much as I would have wanted it to, but um, but it was such an awesome experience. And then um, 
I ended up back in the U.S. and something that I've been very open about and what this whole thing has brought up was um, I had I fell in on hard times uh, with substance abuse. So I, uh, I ended up going to a rehab center out here in Lancaster for uh, alcohol. And uh, when I got out, I spoke to my now business partner, who's also the owner of the rehab that I went to, and we decided to open this up. Um, and so for the last year and a half, we do a lot of community events. We get involved with the, with the addiction recovery community. Uh, we get involved with the, with the homeless shelters. We get involved with the food hubs. Um, so we do a lot of community work uh, that's involved around this. So that's how we're able to help out the community as well. And in return, they support us as well. Well, congratulations on that, and uh, and obviously, you know, you know, it's, it's turning a negative into a positive. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like you're you're doing well with the with what how you were able to turn things around in in Lancaster there. Yeah, it's been it's been a blessing. Uh, I mean, being around the people that that uh, are also in recovery helps a lot too. Uh, this it was something that I had been struggling for a while, but I didn't really get even more serious until the the COVID times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people that fell on hard times as well too during that time frame because there was nothing else to do, especially with somebody like myself that I mean I was independent wrestling for years and that was that was my main my main job occupation basically was just constantly traveling. So when COVID happened, everything stopped, everything shut down. So there was nothing to do, or at least in in our minds, there was nothing to do. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so I mean I I didn't handle it too well, but I mean like I said, we were able to turn this around. And, and and I'm thankful that because of Christopher Dreisbach, my partner, um, he's been helping me out with all of this process. And in return, we offer something here with the school that uh, some of our students are also in recovery. Um, or if they weren't already, they joined us and then that kind of keeps them focused. So it kind of keeps them, you know, out, out of, you know, all that, others, all that other like bad negative thoughts that they may have in order to pick up or use or something. What kind of things did you learn about the different wrestling training around d- during the course of your career? I know you said you've been to a lot of different places uh, and you've, you've been through a lot of different companies. What what unique spin do you think you're able to put on uh, on things as a trainer at your own school there? I I learned a lot. Not, so I learned a lot also when I was with, in WWE because everybody, all the coaches, all the trainers, even though the basic fundamentals were very similar in style, Everybody had a different approach and uh, on how to teach something. And then I got to learn from them the concept that everybody learns differently and through at different speeds and through different methods. Some people are auditory. Some people are visual. Some people you have to constantly repeat again and again and again and again. Um, and then there's other people that you tell them once and they get it. Uh, so I had to learn a lot of patience. Um, and especially, obviously, in a different country where we don't, I don't speak the same language. Um, I had to learn patience. I had to learn, uh, again, that everybody learns differently. So I was able to take what worked with this person, what worked for this person, what worked for this person. This this way didn't work with this person. So I had to find alternatives. So now that I have my school and I have people from that are very different, uh, different cultural backgrounds, different mentalities, um, I know how I was raised and then how I was trained as well. And then it was very, I mean, you know, it was a different mentality back then. It was more so let's just beat them to the ground and hopefully they'll learn. Uh, but I, I know that uh, some people don't respond to that. Uh, so I had to learn different methods. 
uh, of how to teach something. But that's also my job to understand, to get a, a, an overall idea of how this person reacts and how this person, um, how can I get the best out of this person? And, uh, and everybody's different. Everybody's different. So I got to learn that, that aspect by being all over the place. I think sometimes people misunderstand the concept of wrestling training. From what I know of it, most people are always kind of learning in every stop that they're at. And it was it kind of made me laugh when Great Kali opened his school in India. A lot of people were like, "Oh, the Great Kali is training people." Like, yeah, he was never like, there. <laughs> I'm thinking they're all going to wrestle like him. It's like if you look at some of the trader wrestler combinations in wrestling history, it's like the Sheik trained Rob Van Dam. I don't think that right. is exactly the you know he's going to teach him about being a wrestler. He's not necessarily going to be teaching him how to do every single move that he ends up learning along the way. It's, it's more, right. I mean, it, I mean, you could probably speak to it better than anybody. You were there in India with Kali, like how, how that, uh, how that setup worked and what, you're absolutely right. But I mean, Kali was hardly there. He would just kind of go show up and then uh, show face and then, Hey, hello, you know, make sure you eat right, listen to the trainer. And then he would go off, um, and then something also we can touch a, a little bit afterwards is how big of a star Kali is. And there's a lot of methods that he would try to teach the guys that I did not agree with um, because obviously he was not in the ring. But um, I can never take away the level of stardom that that man has in India. And the only way I could ever compare it to is if you ever saw those old uh, videos of like the Beatles coming yeah. off the plane, uh, that. Like, and that's the only way I can compare it to. And and I, I can say this with full certainty because I have been in cars with him as he's walking outside and the car just get flooded with people. Um, it's insane. It's insane. It's something to, to witness in person. Um, but to to the other point, um, yeah, I mean, I, and, and again, so my job as a coach is to be able to learn different styles uh, I was very thankful that you know in my time in WWE I got to spend time around the the high flyers I got to spend time around like the technical guys uh, the aggressive heels the villains the uh, the heavyweights so I got to learn from different people and their format their, their style so I can take a little bit from this guy I can take a little bit from this guy and then mesh it all together so then when I go for instance in India and then I did have uh, in India I had, I had like three or four that were about Kali's height, uh, roughly. And so I, obviously I'm not going to teach them the high-flying style, obviously, but I have to still be able to guide them and teach them stuff. So I was able to take all my past experiences and apply it to this individual person to make it best fit them. And then even with some of your experiences too, you know, looking at your career in the WWE, you – ended up in a role that was probably completely different from what you were maybe doing in developmental before you ended up, you know, you end up your role as a ring announcer, which is something that, you know, people maybe never thought of before as being a heel role, but you ended up sort of in the Bobby Heenan spot of yeah. you need to wrestle like a manager and manage like a wrestler. And, you know, yeah. you were taking all those big spills all the time, you know, outside the ring and everywhere else. So, you know, how does, I mean, that, shared experience of just, you know, the way that you ended up breaking into WWE has to be pretty helpful for, you know, being able to, to show people the way. It, it was, it was very different than what I was used to. Absolutely. Very different. Um, I, I had, when I first started wrestling, I learned the, the Mexican Lucha Libre style, 
So that's what I was taught. That's what I knew. And eventually I transitioned over to what we would call the American style. Um, so it was a little different, but all I knew was wrestling, 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 wrestling. So when I got signed to WWE and I got told that I can't wrestle anymore, that I have to be a, a ring announcer, um, that was hard at first. And then my story was also very different because um, when I got signed to WWE, I did a tryout uh, at the Staples Center, whatever it's called now. Yep. <clears throat> I got signed at, um, on August 10th of 2010. It was the day after SummerSlam. I did a tryout. I got hired. Well, I got offered this spot the next the next day. I did the spot on SmackDown, and I got hired on the spot. So, and then I got put on the road immediately. So I didn't go to developmental. They just put me with Alberto right away, and it just kind of went from there. Uh, it wasn't until maybe like two months later I ended up going to Florida, and I went to FCW, and um, and I was hardly, I was very re- rarely at training uh, because I was already on the road. Uh, and then the two days that I was at FCW, I was doing promo class with Dusty Rhodes. Uh, and then the, the Thursday was when they used to have their FCW shows. So I was never at training. Um, so I went, I went backwards, uh, in, in the process. Interesting. Um, and, um, but yeah, but I mean, just letting go of that ego of like, I can't wrestle anymore. Uh, I have to, I have to be a ring announcer. I have to kind of swallow my pride a little bit. That was tough at first. But uh, in hindsight, and obviously we live we live life uh, backwards sometimes because we learn backwards, um, and uh, but we're expected to to experience it and live it like we've already lived it. Um, but I, I was very thankful that that I, I did have good mentors. Uh, Paul Bearer was somebody that was very close to me, and he would guide me through a lot of stuff. And then Mick Foley would kind of pull me aside from time to time and and tell me things here and there. Uh, same thing with Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman would sit me aside every now and then and just kind of like tell me, hey, this didn't work out. Don't do it this way. Do it this way next time around. Da, 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 right? So I had good folks that were that were guiding me through the process. And a lot of it, too, was honestly just learning on the fly and, and making mistakes uh, and then learning from it. Because um, obviously we were on TV five days or we were on the road five days a week. We were, you know, so I would make mistakes and it happens. Um and instead of dwelling on it, we have to learn from it. What do you think it was that got you signed to WWE? You know, you, you end up, uh, you get this tryout, you end up signed, and you end up being on all these huge shows, WrestleMania and everything else as Alberto Del Rio's personal ring announcer. What, what was it about your tryout that uh, that opened their eyes, you think? So when I did my tryout, the, the man who had gotten me the tryout specifically had originally told me, uh, his name is Jesse Hernandez from Southern California, Oh, yeah. uh, he's from San Bernardino, and uh, and uh, he he had told me that they were looking for for luchadors. Uh, and at the time, you know, in, in the, on the independence, I used to wear a mask and I used to go by the name of Chimera. Right. Um, and so I was like, yeah, sure. So I did the tryout. We did uh, we did a couple. We did a whole bunch of drills. Uh, we did this little tournament style of matches and stuff. And then they they wouldn't pick. Who, who won the matches. They would just kind of pick who they liked out of each match to advance them. And at the end, it was myself and this one guy uh, by the name of Mercurio Jr. So we do the match. He wins. Blah, blah, blah. We're done. Um, Ty Bailey, who was the talent scout at the time, he approaches me. He approached me afterwards, and he asked me if I was under contract anywhere, if given the opportunity, would I be willing to relocate to Florida? And, and I've been in wrestling long enough at this point where people offer you the world and nothing ever happens. Um, 
And so I was like, yeah, sure. Okay, we'll see what happens, right? Um, and then we were in catering afterwards, and they had they had asked the other kid, who was this clean-cut, good-looking kid, right? Uh, he was younger than I was, uh, but he was clean-cut. And they had asked him, he was the Mercury Jr. guy without the mask. <clears throat> they had asked him if he wanted to do this thing on SmackDown the next day. For whatever reason, he said he couldn't make it. <clears throat> Excuse me. For whatever reason, he said he couldn't make it the next day. So then uh, Jesse goes, well, he speaks Spanish. So then uh, they come up to me, they approach me, and they had asked me if I was willing to go to SmackDown the next day in San Bernardino. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm from Los Angeles originally. Hello. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I ended up going to San Bernardino. I did this re-announcing deal. It was the first time I met Alberto, first time I actually meet uh, uh, Vince. And, um, and it just went from there. It just kind of happened from there. Vince liked it. Uh, and then it was from what Malenko used to tell me, because Malenko was our main producer agent, and he, I, he was like my wrestling dad in WWE. Um, so from what Malenko had told me was that it was supposed to be only for the Alberto debut. So that Ricardo role was only supposed to be a one-off, and then but Vince liked it a lot, and then decided they decided to keep me around. Uh, and it just went from there. I got to experience a lot of. Um, I had to experience a lot of um, uh, awesome times in, in WWE, WrestleManias, uh, traveling the world. I mean, I got to perform in Madison Square Garden uh, with, with Alberto being uh, heavyweight champ two times and then WWE champ twice. So we, we got to hold those titles. Uh, and it was all because that one guy had said that he couldn't make it the next day. And you showed up and you hit a home run. You probably a grand slam right out of the gate, yeah. and uh, they kept you around. So, like, then you're in the, you're a ring announcer. Who do you most want to sound like when you're doing ring announcing? Do you end up having a kinship with the other ring announcers, like Howard Finkel, Tony Schimmel, and those guys? And what, oh, what, what, do they, what do they all think of you? <laughs> so, I, I think I was obviously my style was a lot different. Um, when I did my tryout, uh, well, the, the rehearsal for the first time that we did the thing with Alberto. Um, I, I went in very proper because I figured ring announcer. So I figured, you know, Howard Finkel, Justin, you know, Justin Roberts. And then, so I went very proper and very ladies and gentlemen, right? And I've never done ring announcer before. So I'm just making this up as I go. Uh, and then Vince goes, he's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Be more animated, uh, be more Hispanic. Um, and then I'm thinking to myself, I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. But then I remember the the ring announcers from from down in Mexico, down in AAA, and they were very, you know, loud and this and this. So I was like, okay, maybe that's what he wants. So then I started to become more animated and louder, um, like a hype man. So that's kind of how I took it, and then it just went from there. And the uh, the the long Alberto didn't come in until a little bit later. Um, there was this, and I've tweeted this. I tweeted this to him before. Uh, there's this um, soccer commentator from Argentina, and his Andres name is Cantor. Andres Cantor. Yep. <laughs> and it wasn't until Andres, because uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm Mexican, so I used to grow up watching soccer, right? Uh, especially, and, and then, um, so I would listen to Andres Cantor, goal, right? Um, so that's where the Alberto thing started coming in. And then I didn't start elongating it until the WWE Twitter folks started counting it uh, and then posting it on Twitter. Ah. Uh, so then when I realized that they were counting it, I was like, cool, let me see how long I can go. Um, 
and it just where it progressively got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the audience started doing it with me, and it just went from there. And I can tell you personally that the contour thing can be a heel maneuver too, because I, I once covered, I, I, I was a sports reporter for 10 years and I once covered a soccer tournament and the person that was on the PA decided to do the long goal call every yeah. time somebody scored, but there were three goals inside of six minutes that this one <laughs> team scored. So somebody from the other team came up to the press box and was like, they, they stormed in. They said, you are very annoying. And they were like, you're not allowed to be in the press box here. <laughs> so it was actually a pretty funny moment. But uh, yeah, yeah so, but it, was, it was because of Andres Cantor. Yeah, they were just doing they, they were doing that whole, you know, yeah. it, it, was, it was just, yeah, it, it was obnoxious in that moment. Too, so. yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, how many tuxedos did you buy? Oh, man. I So funny story. Uh, so the very first one that I had, uh, well, no, I'm lying. The very first one was a cheap one that I had gotten from. Because I mean, I, I I didn't I didn't grow up with a lot, and so when I did my tryout, I went to Goodwill and I bought a cheap suit. And there was a bridal store across the street that I bought a couple of bow ties from. Um, so that was my very first one, and uh, so it was really like ten bucks for the whole thing, right? But then when I first when it, once I started really getting on the road, I was like, man, I want to look nice and proper because I'm WWE now. So the very first actual suit that I bought was like around 600 bucks, right? I was very proud of it because I've never, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. It was the first time I ever bought something expensive. Um, and uh, it only lasted like a month because maybe a month, if that, because then we did a pay-per-view. It was Alberto and then Edge, and they wanted to do a spot where they're, jaw jacking back and forth and then edge goes and he grabs my sleeve and then rips it off. Oh man. Um, so they had to Jimmy it. They had to rig it. So, so it'll rip off. And then I remember when they're cutting it in the back, I had this, like my heart was breaking because I didn't <laughs> buy anything that expensive. Um, and my heart was breaking. And then from there, uh, I got sad. <laughs> uh, so I ended up, so after that, I realized after, all right, they're going to keep beating me up. Um, and so I just kept going to like Burlington Coat Factory and just getting my suits from there. <laughs> nice Fre frequent customer there at Burlington. Yeah. yeah. What, what did you think at uh, Survivor Series? I think it was at MSG when uh, CM Punk goes out and brings Howard Finkel in as uh, his personal ring announcer. What, what, what was that moment like? We had an awesome relationship with, with Howard. And then if you ever talked to anybody who, who knew him, uh, he was such a kind heart. He was such a nice guy. Um, and if you see that that footage of that night, you can see when he walks out and the crowd is chanting his name, and you can see that he's embracing the moment. Um, obviously, when it, as it was happening, I thought it was cool, um, but from far away, I can't see his face that clear because we're you know far away. Right. It wasn't until we saw the footage that you can see uh, Howard just he's soaking it in, and then how much he missed it. Uh, it was such a beautiful moment. I, I, we could have done without the commentary uh, that they were making fun of him, um, yeah. but um, but it was such an awesome moment. Mass Square Garden, uh, and then that match too was actually what started CM Punk's four hundred and whatever day reign it was. Right. Uh, but it was that match, and again, MSG, Alberto, myself, Punk, Howard. Uh, it was such a cool experience, and just to to share that with Howard was pretty cool. 
I mean, he he's as far as ring announcers go, like, and it's it, it's unfortunate for anybody who had ever had to follow him, but like, yeah, I, know, I think he's the absolute best ever, and I'm not even sure anybody else is ever going to come close to what he. Yeah, made. his voice, his voice is iconic. Um, yeah, his voice is one of a kind, and and my heart will always go towards Howard. Um, we get because I, I when I do podcasts, they'll ask me about like top ring announcers, and you know, and everybody's great not to take away from anybody else, but Howard is Howard. Uh, yeah. So I think with managing, I, I get asked about that. Like one of the questions I get asked is like, where would I rank myself? I was like, eh, I don't know. But uh, I'll always go Heyman. Heyman to me is like top when it comes to managing, um, especially with the way he taught. I don't know, just but yeah. But Howard, Howard was one of a kind. Yeah, but it, it's all how you put your different spin on it, though, too. You know, rankings are great, and people like talking about them. People like debating them, but like subjective opinion, you know. So. You it's, know you don't need to try to pass Howard Finkel or Paul Heyman or Bobby Heenan. Like, they, yeah, they, yeah. They, they've made their way already. You got to find out uh, who, who you are yourself. What's your relationship like with Alberto? Uh, what was it like, and what is it like today? I know sometimes he's a lightning rod for controversies yeah. and different charges and allegations against him at different times over the years. But uh, what was it like, and what's it like now? So I mean, I didn't know Alberto until we did that 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 rehearsal. I, I, I knew of him because, again, I grew up watching Lucha Libre, and then I first started training in Mexican Lucha Libre. So I was very aware of the Dos Caras family, uh, Min Mascara or Psicodélico. I was very aware of that family. Um, when I first met Alberto, he came out. He didn't have this mask on, but I had not been watching WWE at the time because of my work So I was uh, in training. So I wasn't too up to date on what was going on, so I didn't know about the promos. Um, so I had a friend who was a very hardcore insider wrestling fan, Mark, right? Um, so when I was told what I was doing, I texted him and I was like, hey, who's this Alberto Del Rio guy? Uh, just, I just want to know who he is. And then he goes like, that's Toscanas Jr. I was like, what? No way. So then I started, like, I was like, oh, cool. And then so I kind of clicked and then I, I fan fanboyed for a little bit. Because uh, again, I, I grew up watching Lucha Libre, so I was very aware of him and his whole family. I mean, Mascaras, you know, those kind of senior. Um, so that was kind of cool. And then it took up it took a bit to kind of warm up because I was just a new kid there. I didn't know any better. And then, um, but once we got together, we were yeah, we were inseparable. And I think that's what also kind of helped uh, our chemistry. Um, I would like to think, and this is maybe just me blowing smoke up my touch uh, that a combination like what we had hasn't been matched yet. Um, and then the reason why I say that is because I, I wasn't just uh, the ring announcer. I mean, as far as like the managing um, there was times and I know we're going into like, you know, we're pulling back the curtain on this one. Um, but I would get with the with the agent and we would put the match together and then we would go tell them afterwards or I would just tell them as the match is happening. Um, so myself and the agent will put the match together uh, because either Alberto or the or let's say let's say Cena, right? Alberto or Cena were doing interviews or they were doing uh, promos. So then they don't have time for the match. So we would call it uh, and then I would go and I would tell Alberto because they didn't have time to get together and then put it together. Uh, so I would tell Cena or I would tell uh, Alberto uh, what myself and the agent had just put together. 
Um, and then as the match is happening, I'm calling it to them as we're doing it. So if you ever see me running back and forth in the back, it's because I'm calling it to them. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were so many times, too. And then I, I just remember specifically there was a couple of times where when he was with Dolph, where they because, again, they had they had so much stuff going on with the promos. So they wouldn't have much time to call everything in the match. They would just call, like, the big spots. Um, so Dolph would look back, and then he would just kind of give me, like, a, what's next? And I would just go, bah, bah, bah. And then they would just keep going from there. And another one of the unique things you were able to do in your career, too, was uh, commentary, um, mm-hmm. again, at a pretty young age, too. So what, what kind of comfort did you have doing the Spanish uh, language commentary? What, what, what I hated it at first. I hated it at first. Um, I wanted to wrestle, right? That was my ultimate. I wanted to wrestle. And then um, – but, uh, but yeah, so it, it took me a while too. And then it's weird. And then if you ever speak to anybody who's bilingual, um, they'll kind of tell you similar, uh, similar, uh, they'll tell you some similar in that there's times I forget Spanish and there's times I forget English. Uh, cause the, my brain has to think twice sometimes, especially when I'm, t- and, but it's weird though, because if I'm speaking to somebody who's also multilingual, like I am, uh, I can jump back and forth without missing a beat. But if I have to focus on one, sometimes I forget, what's the word for this? And, and I'll, I'll, like, Americanize it or I'll Spanishize it? <laughs> um, and it's, it's weird, though. It's weird. But if, if I'm speaking with somebody who, like, with Alberto, uh, I can go I can go Spanglish with them and then I without missing a beat. Um or, but but when I when I speak to him just in Spanish, Spanish the whole time, sometimes I forget certain certain words in Spanish, which is weird uh, because otherwise I normally I know it, but for whatever reason. But anyways, but if it wasn't for for somebody's like a great guide, because Carlos Cabrera was the um, the main lead announcer, so I learned so much on how to guide and how to how to um, how to be the lead commentator. Um, we didn't have anybody in our earpiece. He did. Uh, so it was myself, Carlos, and then Marcelo Rodriguez on the other end. So we didn't. The only person who had somebody in the ear was Carlos. And uh, so, so he would tap us as we were talking. He would tap us to let us know when to when to talk or when to slow down or when to like shut up. Uh, uh, a good example that I learned from him was the because uh, I got to commentate all of WrestleMania 30. Right. And um, and that was when Brock beat Taker. Yep. Uh, and that was such a surreal moment. Such a surreal moment. I don't think anybody expected that. And uh, I didn't tell least. And uh, when when Taker lost, I legit thought that Taker forgot to kick out. Um, so everything went quiet. And it didn't help either. They didn't play Brock's music right away, which yep. is an awesome, awesome note, too. Uh, they didn't play Brock's music uh, right away. It was quiet. It was super quiet. And if, if you were there, uh, that big arena that was just filled with roars and sounds and then cheers and boos got quiet, silent. And it was so awesome. And anyways, so there's this point where I guess what once the disbelief kind of started wearing down, uh, I was about to say something. And then I guess Carlos heard my <gasps> before I was about to speak, and he just grabs my hand and he's like, so yeah, yeah, just, just let it. But he was very calm about it, so which led me to believe. I was like, "You knew, <laughs> you knew." 
<laughs> the referee did an awesome Chad Patton did an awesome job oh, yeah. in that match too. Because when you consider what that was, that moment, he had to hit yeah. it perfectly and he did. Um, who would be in uh who would be producing announcers in Carlos's year for Spanish? Uh I, well, I mean, obviously he's bilingual, so I don't know if he was still here. Oh, would uh, he hear Cole would too necessarily? I don't know if he would hear Cole. I think he would probably hear the who's ever running in the back with uh, Kevin or Vince or whatever. Um, yeah, I never would have thought of that <laughs> of yeah. the Spanish announce team having a producer, but it makes it makes sense that somebody would be have to be giving them, you know, cues. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm sure he would have. Yeah, I'm sure he would have somebody in the back telling him. And it would, I would imagine it's the same whoever was on on because even when I did English commentary, I didn't have anybody. Uh, no, I'm lying. I'm lying. I did. I did. I would hear what they were here too, what like Cole and the other person were here. Um, or in my case, because I did English commentary for main events. Uh, and, and that was me, Josh Matthews, and and Miz sometimes. Um, no, I, did I? I don't remember. That I don't sounds, remember. That sounds right, but. No, I don't remember if I had somebody in my ear. I don't remember. Because I do remember that one time Miz said something, and he got the the date wrong. It was something simple, right? Or, like, the, the show wrong. Uh, like, he, he was referencing an old event, and I corrected him. And I remember when I got to the back, they told me, like, never correct Miz. Uh, I was like, what? <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't anything, like, it wasn't anything crazy or whatever. It was like, I think he – forget what the date – I don't remember the exact detail. Let's just say, for example – he said, like, how to sell 97. I was like, no, it was 98. Whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, something stupid like that. But they, I remember I got to the back and, like, never correct Miz. Just, like, just let it roll. Yeah, I was like, okay. Um, but I don't remember if I had somebody in my ear or it was afterwards. Yeah. Either way. Uh, so we're going to move on to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. So uh, if you had to book uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, in a match versus another uh, manager or second from sometime in uh, history, that would actually be a good match. What would you pick? Oh man! Ah, oh, jeez. Uh, oh man, you put me in a spot there. Uh, 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 I mean, there's no wrong. Younger Heenan. Younger Heenan. Younger Heenan was something. Like the just the, some of the bumps that he would take yeah. were insane. Like people oh, yeah. don't people forget how good he was as a performer, just physically too. Yes, sir. He was. Did you ever have the chance to meet him? Uh, I think I did. Like at a, a few conventions yeah. throughout the years. Cool. Uh, second question: What is your favorite Lucha Libre mask? Uh, Ultimo Dragon is up there, definitely. Yeah, and I got to wrestle Ultimo Dragon. Uh, a little over a year ago. So that was like a dream come true. Wow, that's great. And then uh, last question, it was sort of related to all the stuff we were talking about a little bit, but aside from Ricardo Rodriguez, who are your favorite ring announcers? Uh, Chimmel. Chimmel. Chimmel for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah, I mean, the rated R superstar. <laughs> um, Chimmel, and then I love what Samantha Irving's doing. She's awesome. Um, she's different. So, yeah, she is. Uh, the energy that she brings, uh, she's great. Uh, I'll always have a soft spot for, for Justin Roberts because he's a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that dude. And, yeah, we, we got along super well in my time in WWE. And then he's actually one of the guys that, that when I got to spend a lot of time with AEW, um, I, I mean, just reconnected. And it was like we hadn't missed a beat. 
I went to a show one time that Tony Chimmel was announcing in Poughkeepsie, New York. Which I live in Poughkeepsie, yeah. New York. And uh, the fans started chanting for him. And his response on the mic was, sometimes I do my job and sometimes I do it stupid. <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> I was like, I don't know if he'd ever done that at any other shows, but I'm like, I was expecting something a little bit better than that. I was like, why did he say that? But uh, oh, oh, Chimmel, Chimmel, Yeah, Chimmel's fun, man. Um, yeah, I should, get, I should get him on for this at some point. Uh, yeah. I think he, he'd have a lot of fun stories. But uh, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Three Legacies Wrestling in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. How can people find out some more information on that? You can always go to Three Legacies Wrestling. It's typed out three. Uh, so T-H-R-E-E, Three Legacies Wrestling on Facebook. Uh, check out our, our website, threelegaciesrestling.com. Um, also on YouTube, follow our YouTube, uh, subscribe, please. Um, on all social medias, uh, it's very, pretty easy to find out, or you can just follow me. And then, cause I tagged, uh, three legacies on everything on Twitter X. Um, so, uh, yeah, so just check out three legacies wrestling. We have an event coming up this Saturday or next Saturday, excuse me, on the 20th, as we come into 2024 called Icebreaker from Millersville University. What do you have in February? This is actually uh, this is actually going to be recorded a little bit before uh, uh, it's going to come out after what you were just saying. So that's All right, fine. that's fine. That's totally yeah. fine. Uh, so uh, in, you can uh, check out. Just follow us on on social media on our website at threelegaciesrestling.com. Check us out on Facebook, Three Legacies Wrestling, and then on YouTube, Three Legacies Wrestling as well. All right. Thank you so much for doing this. Really enjoyed this. Uh, a lot of fun. Good luck with everything you're doing. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Ricardo Rodriguez. I'd also like to thank the follower on Twitter, or X, who suggested that we do an episode, because that was where this all came from. So uh, if you guys have any other suggestions for episodes, uh, maybe I want to do them, maybe I don't, but we'll, you know, we, can, we can work with whatever we're given. So you can send your suggestions to me on Twitter at Under the Ring, which is also where you're going to get all my newest guest announcements. And have a great week, everyone.